Welcome back to the fire drill. Uh, I'm super tired. I'm going to try to keep this energized. First of all, we talk live. We all give grades of live. And before you say we're going to get all oh, we're anti live or not, it's not true. So listen to our grades of the first full year of live. Uh, we talk about what is now will always be referred to as the butterball. Uh, Bermuda. Somebody on Twitter called it the Butterball instead of the Butterfield. So we're calling it the Butterball. And all the stories that come with that, we talk about Ben and Dunes and our trip there. And we rank all the courses. We talk about my swearing. We talk about... Uh, I mean, it's insane. It's always a fire drill. It's crazy. We were super tired. Uh, but we, we got it done. Before we get into the actual podcast, I want to thank... Uh, we want to thank a couple of our sponsors... Dormy Workshop, this is when uh, Alan Shipnick usually says artisanal. I don't even know what that is. They make club covers and putter covers. I don't know what artisanal means, but supposedly they're artisanal. So uh, Dormy Workshop is a great supporter of ours, so check them out. And then uh, Parpoints, the app, uh, it's a great way, a new way of scoring. It's an awesome app. Use it. Go make par. Huge supporter of us. They sent us some bottles of wine while we were at uh, Band and Dunes. I'm not a wine drinker. I'm a Jack and Coke drinker, but I did drink their wine. Uh, so it was amazing wine. Uh, Par Points, Dormy Workshop, great supporters of the Fire Pit. As you can see above my head, <whistles> Fire Pit, the Fire Pit Collective. <whistles> I'm in the office, flew down from Bandon. That's all I got. Jake's laughing at me. And here is us talking about the week in golf. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck, back for another Fire Drill podcast. I am joined, uh, per usual, by Michael Bamberger and Ryan French. We were doing these every Sunday, but because we were uh, all three of us were in transit home from Bandon, it's now Monday morning, but our dedication to you, the listener, remains. So, um, guys, we were, uh, we were having a heck of a time in one of the greatest spots on earth, but um, what was interesting to me was that... we you know, Bandon is the Mecca for the recreational golfer in America. And you're, you're surrounded by golf conversations at all times. And people are talking about their gear and their putting stroke and their favorite players and whether they're going to go to the masters next year, whatever. I mean, every conversation is infused with golf. Um, But I did not hear anyone talking about the live finale in Miami, even though it was a pretty exciting event. It had an interesting format you had, uh, you had some some heavyweight matchups, you know, Cam Smith taking down Phil Mickelson and in, in their in their singles, and you had you had a taut finish, but it wasn't on the TV in the grill room. It wasn't on the lips of the golfers. Um, I just thought it was an interesting dichotomy. Um, so, what now that the first season is over and and it's all in the books? What do we think of where Liv is, and what do we think of what happened in Miami? And let's just talk about that for a little while. Somebody start. <laughs> Michael's starting. Okay. I guess I'm starting. <laughs> no, Michael, you start. Okay. He's shaking it off. Um, <clears throat> a season overall, one, 100% bigger and 
more impact than I think any of us dreamed. I mean, to think that Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau would be playing anywhere else besides the PGA Tour is wild. Uh, and I don't think even the live loyalists at the beginning of this thought in their first season they would have marquee names like that. I sure didn't. I don't think any of us did. So the impact on the game is obvious. Uh, the PGA Tour changed their whole structure. So for the people that are like, oh, we negative live, like they have made an impact. There's a hundred, there's no, anyone who says they haven't is not being realistic. That being said, I don't know how they get anyone to care. Uh, and you said it perfectly that Sunday dinner or Saturday dinner is we have 24 nerds. We are like, when I say nerds, I mean, me and one of the players that was with us at Bannon are breaking down the Bermuda field, and the Bermuda field is deep in the weeds of of golf nerdery. I mean, that leaderboard is like, I mean, you got to be a serial serious golf fan to to be locked in on that. And we hadn't talked about live, and the only time we you brought it up and we talked about it was the fact that we hadn't talked about it. And I don't know how to overcome that because, I mean. That night, I looked it up. I mean, Bryson and Louis Oosthuizen had a 23-hole match. Like, if that was in the World Golf Classic or in the match play tournament or whatever, people would have been locked in. And somehow, no, I didn't even know. No one cares for some reason in the United States. Maybe some people overseas do. There's more TV. I just don't know how they overcome it. I think the money aspect has turned more people off than it has turned people on. Like it just, it's not the driving force of why people watch golf. I completely agree with that, Ryan, word for word. Uh, And I would say, of course it has had an, an immense impact because we've seen the PGA tour restructure itself and the PGA tour has lost some of its marquee players. But and it's the most significant. But of all, if professional golf exists for fans, this this first year seems almost inconsequential. Not completely, but as you say, this was this was in theory a great event that nobody cared about in 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 our circle anyway. I mean, TV is obviously the key because if you had that Bryson match on TV, if you had Cam Smith against um against Phil Mickelson even Sunday you, you know I, I did I did watch a lot of highlights and I did read everything that was written it so I was I was paying attention um you know the Doral is a course that people know from so many so many great championships there on the PGA Tour it was set up as a real championship test and you know Cam Smith shooting 65 in the final round three shots better than anybody else I mean, it's just electric to watch that guy play golf. That was a reminder of it. So if it was on TV in in the backdrop, people would have gotten into it. And it just seems like the biggest miss of all that Liv could not find a way to get on any TV platform in the United States. And even this, uh, excuse me, this Fox Sports deal that where they might buy the, the time would certainly be a worthwhile investment because um, – Again, if it's on the grill room at Bandon, people are going to tune into it because you know these players and you care about them and you have some emotional investment in them. And especially in, in a match play scenario, I think it would have been a great show. So 
that to me is the biggest critique of all for Liv is that they just they never found a way to get themselves on TV throughout this whole season. And obviously launching as as a beta test, no one knew what to expect. But as soon as they signed Dustin um, and and a surprisingly good initial offering of players, and they kept adding players like. It's really from from their perspective. I think that that was the the difference maker was not getting on TV, and that's still a a riddle they're gonna have to solve for year two. But um, because that that's how you will get the casual fan even pay attention and or know you know that you you exist. So that was really driven home. Because um, yeah, I mean we were having we were having lunch on on Sunday, waiting for the shuttle, and uh, you have college golf on TV. You have. Uh, you have European tour, you have PJ tour, like in the ecosystem of golf, the one thing that's missing is live. And that, that still boggles my mind. They couldn't get it done. There, there may be one significant thing that is missing. In addition to uh, a TV deal, golf unique among, you know, major professional sports has an element of charm to it. Just like the tennis does when it's at Wimbledon in Paris, the master certainly has a charm to it. The British open for sure does you know, the weekly tour events, especially the older established ones uh, do. And it is part of the appeal of the, of the whole thing. And even as the golfers have become more athletic, physically much bigger, there's still been the charm of the little ball, the little niceties to each other. And I just, and I know golf, you know, is always derided for being this old timey thing that's aged out. Uh, but maybe that whole thing really is a major part of everything uh, about it. And um, and maybe Liv is so off the mark there that it can't catch on because people don't want golf, but louder or the music or the shotgun starts uh, and, all, and, and all the rest. Uh, I have no idea, but that would be a guess on my part. Yeah, that's a good word for it. I mean, Live offers many things, but charm is not one of them. I mean, it, the the product is so in your face. The personalities behind it, whether it's Greg Norman or it's Sergio or Patrick Reed or Pat Perez and his wife, or you can go on down the list. Like, it's just a very aggressive set of personalities. And um, you know, I'd say Rory has a certain charm about him, right? Like, there's um, it's but. Phil Mickelson does not like he's just so brash and and he's he's such a um he's so polarizing and, and for whatever reason Liv just attracted those personalities Brooks Kepka I mean Ian Poulter like you go on down the list I mean it's a very specific personality type um, and, so, and summed up by summed up by one quote I'll read from Pat Perez uh, who has struggled the entire live season. I, so they asked him about it, and he said, I get a lot of grief, people saying I never sew up, so I did today, uh, so everybody can just shut up. The guy <laughs> plays one good round of golf, and instead of being like, hey, you know, it's great to be in the team format or whatever, thanks to my teammate. I mean, that's what he says. It's just so wild, and there's so many heels, so many, like, I, I just they have leaned into it and uh at some point that just you know, I've always said I like Bryson was very popular slash polarizing on the PGA tour because there was a lot of, you know, good guys around him. It's good to have a heel amongst a bunch of good guys, but like just a bunch of heels is just not it just 
doesn't work. It's not working for some reason. You know, it's just not working. And uh, I just, it's Cam is not totally outspoken. So he's, I mean, he's definitely the quietest and and not the the you know the the heel type, but he just doesn't have the the personality that Rory does. So he just doesn't offset those other guys to me. And just to follow up on what what Alan was saying about Phil raising Phil's name. Well, for 30 years, Phil actually was one of the more charming, if not really actually the most charming figure in golf. Because for that long run when he was so close and couldn't close it in a major. And then, you know, and then when he started uh, winning majors and contending in majors and not closing U.S. Opens. And he had his parents there and his kids there and his wife there in an O'Shucks manner. And then badass Phil emerged, you know, suddenly around age 49. Um you know, with the leather coats and the whole thing, and it was a whole the hair dye. Deal. Yeah, <laughs> the hair dye and the the everything was was different. And um, the aviators, <laughs> right? And you captured this so well in your book that there's been you know two fills. Uh, and uh, I was very drawn to old Phil. I have not, you know, uh, bought into new Phil. He's selling he's selling new Phil so hard. It's it makes you want to run the other way, in my opinion. Um, but, uh, you know, Dustin Johnson, he had a certain charm of, you know, see ball, hit ball. There's a lots of different way. You know, charm is a broad, really kind of a, a amorphous uh, kind of word. But, you know, you think of VJ, not a charming person, but there was a certain rugged charm to the fact that he would just stand on the range all day and hit balls and try to figure it out for himself. You know, that loner quality. And, um, uh, this live tour is so much us against the world that actually the individualism, which is a huge part of the appeal for, for me. And I think for many is, is so far lost. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, Dustin is, it's funny because I feel like Dustin among all the guys who went to live, he's taken the least amount of shrapnel, partly because people do like him, but mostly because he's just been very real about it. Like it's great money. It's kind of fun. I want to do something different. He's not, he's not talking any trash to the tour. He resigned his membership. He didn't sign on to any lawsuits. And he, he's just kind of like, Hey man, I'm just having, I'm just having fun making birdies, making millions. What's the big deal. And people have accepted that from him because he has not been in your face about it. And he's, uh, he just kind of goes with the flow as always. So, um, yeah. Hey, but- speaking of people, is Charles Howell even on live? I like the man is disappeared. I mean, yeah. truly yeah. disappeared. Like, I mean, we're talking about, I think he's like 15th or something ridiculous in the all-time PGA Tour winnings. Like, this man was an ATM. I'm not sure he's alive. Is is Charles Howell, did Charles Howell play in any actual live events? <laughs> Charlie, you've got my number. Give us a call. We want to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hashtag, where's Chucky three sticks? I mean, where the hell is... Like, that's a relatively big name, right? I mean, Charles Howell is, like, a known name in golf. I haven't heard a damn – I'm not – I swear I'm not sure he played in a live event. <laughs> well, I have proof of life. I saw him a few times, but, yeah. I oh, mean, you did? Okay. It, it is funny because he um, – I think in, in early on, when right when he signed, um, I said something on one of our podcasts about it's hard to be mad at Charles Howell. No one, no one can really be that mad at Charles Howell. He just is. Right. And, 
it was a very benign kind of throwaway line. But he, he sent me an Instagram saying, thank you so much for the support. And uh, like, that's how under siege these guys are. That if you, if you, yeah. You know, if you say anything nice about them, they're like, anything even just sort of neutral. Yeah. They're like so grateful. Yeah. I thought that was really, that, that was charming by Charles Howell. But yeah. Charles Howell and, and Cam Tringali are two wild signings. I mean, Cam, and uh, I would Charles, Henrik. Charles, I get, uh, Charles, I get, but, Cam Tringali is a wild, wild signing. Go ahead, yeah. Michael. I'm sorry. No, no, Judge Henrik, I would say, is a loss for the tour, you know, and loss for the Ryder Cup. He would have been a great Ryder Cup captain. He would have been fun. He is a lot of fun. It would have been so fun. And I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Luke Donald, too, but he doesn't have the, the personality of Henrik in, in the presence, you know. It's just. I thought uh, you had to be European to be the European Cup captain. <laughs> well, I mean, all these guys. All Luke's these guys from are, Chicago. Yeah, all these guys are pretty Americanized at this point. But um, that's anyway. what I'm saying about the heel part of it. Like, we love Sergio. We love to hate Sergio and Ian because they were amongst a bunch of nice European guys, and now they're just a bunch of like a couple of assholes amongst a bunch of assholes. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like well, doesn't work. I will say, I mean, echoing the earlier comments that. I think on the whole, if you had to grade Liv's debut, I still think it, it's got to be a B plus or something in that range where they had so many victories in as far as launching themselves and getting players and just the amount of buzz and discussion they've created, it far outstrips its you know its actual impact in the sports world. But um, you know when I've Sometimes I get asked to speak at, at things or the book events, and there's always a Q&A at the end. So many questions are about live golf. And when I put up the Ask Allen every week, so many questions are about live golf. So people are tuned into it, but what they're tuned into is the controversy and the noise and the macro developments and the sports washing and the and as a business story and as um as a shakespearean you know exercise in in, in all these big themes what they're not tuned into is the actual competition so i mean they've they've created an insane amount of buzz this year and credit to live that's what they need to do get the name out there make a mark in the larger sports world um and they've done a spectacular job at that but you can't you can't survive forever on that. At some point, the competition has to become compelling, and people have to be invested in the players, the teams, and what's actually happening between the ropes. So, for for year one, I think mission accomplished, and they they probably have to be delighted about where they are. But there are some very serious questions going forward if, if it's viable as a as a sporting entity and not just as a conversation piece. Yeah, I mean, I put up a tweet yesterday about Pat Perez and his weekly is earnings. I mean, it is insane. He played in eight live events, basically broke par a couple times, um, and made eight million over $8 million. And obviously, there's some debate about whether the upfront money counts against that or doesn't or whatever. At minimum, he made $8 million. If he has any upfront money, let's say it's $5 million just for conversation piece. He played eight events and made $13 million. In his 20-year PGA Tour career, he made $28 million. If I'm Pat Perez, I understand. Like, I like. There's no. De- I mean, but to your point, Alan is like. I put that tweet up, and it is instantaneous interaction. Like, and it's relatively split down the middle. And I wish I could have a poll underneath of it of like, 
did any of you are that are saying good for Pat, which I agree, good for Pat for going to make ten million dollars playing terrible golf. Like, did they actually watch it? You know, and that's the conversation that you know we continue to have is yes. Guys are making a lot of money. Yes, we understand why people are living. Yes, they have made a serious impact on the game of golf. Does anyone care? Outside of players leaving, does anyone care? And to, to Alan's A+, plus, I, I would echo that. I would give the exact same grade because, uh, I mean, when you think about where Live Golf was at the time of MoFo, what, what was that, February, Alan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then, and then Nicholas did a forum at, at the Honda tournament and, and uh, Jimmy Roberts uh, was the moderator. And he said, well, Phil's d- done this. And, uh, and then big Jack said, well, it looks like he'll be going alone. And the house kind of applauded or laughed. And the idea was it was over. You know, that's what people thought. And of course it's anything but over. They got some of the biggest names in golf. They're playing big courses. They've got a capable telecast, even though it's on YouTube and uh, I don't see how you could give it anything other than the A plus in terms of getting it up and running, given where they were. And let's not forget about the pandemic that slowed them down for two years. So th- this this whole thing shows the application, the you know, the intelligent application of money, just like Augusta National does every year. Every year you'll go back to Augusta National, then some new thing. And whether you like it or don't like it, it's always done well. And that's you know the intelligent application of of money to a problem. And that's not as easy as it sounds. So. I agree. I would actually give it an A plus, but this, but the the piece that we're speaking of, can you get people to care? You can't buy that. You really cannot buy that. Yeah, and I mean, live. They have some very very smart people behind the scenes. You know, they're unheard of for the sports fan. They don't speak publicly, but when you, but they they are very sharp. You know, some of them, Michael. I've talked to some of them, and. Um, so money plus brain power is, is powerful. Now, obviously Greg Norman's made some gaffes and whatever, but, um, the people behind the scenes are, are pretty clever. And I think that that's part of how they've gotten this far. Norman's been very effective. You know, Norman has made the case of, uh, you know, he says short, simple things that may or may not be true, but they're landing, you know, this tour can be additive and people are like, yeah, what's wrong? Why not have more, you know, what's in competition? Good. So He's been effective. Can we talk about the Butterfield field? Let's talk about the Butterfield because that was super compelling. Uh, Ryan, these are your people. This, this is you've you've built your life caring about things like the Butterfield, Bermuda Open. So, talk the viewers. Are you saying other people didn't care about the Butterfield, (laughs) Bermuda Open? (laughs) I I was into it because I will. I'll just say this: I was at the the North Bend Airport. And um, Seamus Power was contending, and there's a couple Irish guys on our trip, and they were losing their minds because they know him personally and they know his sponsors, and they were hooting and hollering in like startling the other passengers. We were just watching my laptop because there's no TVs in that airport, and uh, it was that was a fun way to do it. So, so tell the listeners why why the Bermuda Open is your fifth major. I mean, those kind of events, especially Bermuda, because it's not an opposite field event, even though the field has very much an opposite field field wow that's too many words but it has none of the top players go there um but Seamus is is a great example of the guys I cover and the thin line between making it and not making it I mean I have told this story in a tweet many times saw Seamus literally uh 16 months ago uh whenever the Hondas played maybe 18 months ago uh on the on the um 
range at the Honda Monday qualifier. Mark and I were there. I was kidding. Saw Seamus, walked up to him, said, hey, man, how's it going? Yeah, game's okay. I just need to get in some vents, and I have a conversation. And he said, I am. I think I have 13 events. He had like very low conditional status. And he said, I got to get to 15 events. Don't even care if I miss the cut. I got to get to 15 events for it to count as a year towards my pension. Like that's where he was in pro golf. I mean, he was like, I'll take a start and miss a cut automatically just so I can get it. I mean, that's where he was. Um, I think he was ranked 500th in the world or around 500th in the world. Uh, he won at the Barbasol. Uh, and he won again this week, and he is going to be in the top 30 in the world. He's going to go to a second straight Masters. I mean, he couldn't crack an egg, you know, for a long time in his pro career. And something clicked. He changed caddies. He changed swing coaches, whatever the reason was. Gained confidence, mainly. And that's what I love about, and that's what the PGA Tour offers. Uh to me is i've said it a million times the guy who finished third ben griffin was working a desk job 14 months ago those are the stories that i think the tour needs to do a much better job of telling uh but also that's what you you can't create those those are like actual stories that happen and that is why i love the butterball someone called it the butterball on twitter so that's what it's known (laughs) as going forward well, and D- Dustin Johnson winning $35 million in eight events is is pretty wild, but it's not going to change his life. He already had the boats and the mansions and the cars, and his kids' kids' kids were, were set for life. But what Ben Griffin just did is probably – it's certainly career-changing, possibly life-changing. And you buried the lead Monday Q-Info. You had, you had Aaron Badalay, a Monday qualifier, who was in contention until the bitter end. Like That would have been epic if he could have done it. Because um, tell, tell the listeners a little bit about – Aaron Badalay, like, you know, you know, if you remember, he won the Australian Open as, as an amateur in the late 90s. He was going to be the next big thing. Um, had a, he's had a decent to pretty good PJ Tour career, but the last X number of years have been a real struggle. So what do they not know about the Aaron Badalay experience? You and okay. I were talking about Aaron Badalay. Aaron Badalay, one of the nicest people in the world. Uh, so first of all, it's so wild. The guy, I mean, I have the serious side of it is I have mad respect for a guy who has $22 million in career earnings, four PGA Tour wins at any Monday, okay? I mean, the fact is he's going to get about 10 starts a year, no matter what, uh, as being a past champion. He can just wait for those, and Aaron is at every Monday. In fact, <laughs> he went to the Bermuda Monday, got in. It was played a week prior, not the traditional Monday of the week prior. By the time the field, all the withdraws, Aaron would have been into the field by 16 people. <laughs> he didn't even have to go to the Monday. <laughs> and most most players would have known that, knowing the history of the field. But for some reason, Aaron is there. Whenever Aaron is at a Monday, most of his family is there. I don't know why, but they don't believe in haircuts. None of them have had a haircut their, <laughs> their entire life. They have 97 kids. They roll up in a bus. The Badleys get off. They follow them during the playoff. There's Badleys all over the place. I mean, <laughs> this is a great example. At the Barracuda, uh, the player can invite your caddy into the, uh, into the dining area. So Mark is like, hey, man, just come in and eat with me. I go in. 
and this is not an exaggeration, the Badleys are having a foosball tournament. <laughs> like two of the kids versus other two of the kids. Grandma and grandpa are in there. The wife's in there. Aaron's there. It's Saturday. Aaron missed the cut by like 10 points, and he's still like just jamming away in there. So the Badleys are a wild, well, they're not a wild bunch, but they uh, are always everywhere. It's pretty wild. I mean, this is actually a great story. One of the three of us should get on the bus with the Badalays and go for like a cross country trip. Like that's going to happen, firepitcollective.com at some point in 2023. That sounds like an amazing story. Yes, 100%. I mean, the whole to, clan, grandma, grandpa, everybody. Yeah, and to, and to all the elves out there from other golf media outlets who monitor this podcast to steal our ideas, you can't have that one. We're keeping that one. Yeah, that one's too good. Alex Myers, no, it's not happening. Yeah, don't touch it. <laughs> um, it's it's neat, neat to think that Seamus Powers has played his way, you know, very likely into all four majors uh, this year. Aaron Baddeley uh, has had many years where he's played all four majors and would like to be back there. And uh, I think these events do help us keep our eye on the prize, which is if you want to be a professional golfer and really be the envy of your peers, the starting point is playing in all four majors. And uh, Charlie Howell's not going to do that. Henrik Sensen's not going to do that. Dustin Johnson will do it. Uh, but, you know, who knows for how much longer? Brooks Kepka, you don't know for how much longer. Um, it's, just, it's just odd to think that Seamus Powers will have something that those guys won't. Well, and also, I mean, Seamus Powers is very much – in the conversation now for the Ryder cup, I'm mean, less than a year out from, from Rome. Um, if you look at all of his stats, I mean, he's clearly one of the best 12 Europeans right now. And, um, you know, two victories in, in the space of what, 16, 17 months. So if he can sustain this form, I mean, he's going to be an important part of that team, which is sure. very much in transition and needs some of these young guys to assert themselves. If they're going to be able to, to handle this very powerhouse U S team. So, um, I guarantee you Luke Donald is very locked in on Seamus Powers right now and, and really, um, really excited to see his continued development. And that that's a big deal. Alan, how locked in, or, or either Ryan and Alan, how locked in do you think Liv is on Harrison Crow, the, uh, the, the kid who won the, um, the Asian Pacific amateur, which uh, gets you an automatic spot into the, uh, into the Masters and, and, and other elite events and had planned to turn pro and now is not. Uh, so is he auditioning for a live spot or is, he, or what is he doing? You know, we don't know, but. Oh no, they are. Cause I, I think, I think I mentioned this previously, you know, I've talked to a couple of college coaches about this and he says there's as much, if not more conversation about live than there is about the PJ tour among the college players, because they know, I mean, live is keenly aware. A, a lot of the guys they've signed are old and getting older and, they need to make their own stars, if you will. They they need young talent, and um, and so these college kids know, like, hey, if, if I have a great year, if I win the NCAA's, or I win the U.S. Amateur, or whatever it is, I'm going to get an offer from Liv. And as as Ryan has has documented so many times, just because you're a great college player it means nothing on the long arduous tour or a trek to the PGA Tour. Whereas, you know, if you can, if you can get in with live and the Asian tour, you're, you're going to make a nice living. Um, and so these young, these young players know that. I, I thought a lot about that as I saw uh, Tyler Strafacci miss by 
14 or something at first stage uh, at Q school. And James Piat is at live at least who knows, you know, rumors that I've heard is, you know, seven figure signing deal, whether that was against his uh, earnings or whatever. It doesn't matter. He's making millions of dollars and playing play relatively poor golf. And Tyler is playing poor golf and not making a dime. And if you're the U.S. Open champ, if you're the U.S. Amateur champion, and you look at those two examples that are very, very recent, those are the last prior to this year. I think those are the last two U.S. Open champions. One is lost, like lost in the. He's playing a minor league tour event this week. I mean, that is at the bottom of the professional golf barrel, and one is flying in private jets and is a multimillionaire, and. I get it. I say it all the time. I get it. And even in the best case scenario for the top players, unless they change the you know PGA Tour U, you are going to go play on the Corn Ferry Tour. And you have your choice of playing in Wichita, Kansas. I always say nothing against Wichita, Kansas, for a million dollars or playing with Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau on their team and making hundred twenty grand if you fire 480s. I don't know. If you're 22 years old, if we all go back to the 22-year-old we were, I don't know how that is a tough decision. <laughs> I, I think Harrison Crow is maybe 20. I'm not sure. But imagine the pressure he's under right now at age 20, which should be such a golden time in your life. But to, but to play these events as an amateur professional in waiting with all this pressure on you, uh it, it, it's almost more than 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 a person could take, and it actually makes you wonder whether whether it's going to make golf enjoyable for him or not to have to have so much weight on him uh, so early. I mean, if a kid comes out, if a kid's a great pitching prospect or whatever coming out of high school, uh, there's such a system of development, and here it's like this or that, really fast and really hard, and I think it'll I think it'll weigh on these kids in a very significant way. That, that's a great point. And even to extend the conversation further, I'm sure there's people saying, well, James Piott's playing so bad, he's not going to be on live next year. That First of all, every contract is different. He may have had a two- or three-year guarantee. Uh, we don't know that just yet. But even if he does get relegated to the Asian Tour slash International Series, that's still much better money than you can make on the Corn Ferry, and it gives you a road back to live. And so, uh, yeah, you're, you're far from home, but it's up. That's also kind of cool because I would rather I would rather see the world than than see you know to use your example Ryan Wichita Kansas like if I'd play for three million dollars in Kuala Lumpur or a million dollars in Wichita like to me that's a great adventure when you're 22 years old and um, you know so uh, and, and I'll say this as again is like I I don't know James's family financial or Tyler's it doesn't matter let's say they're both like just middle class people. And both their careers flame out. I hope that doesn't happen, but let's just as a hypothetical. James is going to go build a nice golf course on the or a nice house on the course he grew up with and go be a club pro or speaker or whatever. And he has X million dollars. Assuming he takes care of his money, he's basically set for life. And because he's going to get three years out of this minimum, as you said, Alan, like, okay, he doesn't make live next year. He's going to go play on the Asian tour for a couple of years, even if he plays poorly play okay, whatever. Tyler is going to play minor league tour events. And 
uh, I just, again, I, I get it. I, I get it. I, and I, 100% the PGA Tour is going to lose some top amateurs. There's just no way that some of those kids don't take it. I think to me, one of the, the biggest lessons from all of this and one of the, the crucial mistakes that Jay Monahan made is, is overvaluing the PGA Tour. Like, I think we're, sen- we're sentimental about the PGA Tour, especially me and Michael and you as well, Ryan. But, you know, that's all we've known. That's all we've really covered. It was the big leagues. It was, it was all that mattered in our thinking. Um, but I think for a lot of these golfers, you know, it's about making a living. It, it's about their future. And the difference between playing a live event in Miami versus a tour event uh, in in different part of Florida, it doesn't feel that much different. You know, there's the majors and there's everything else. And so I don't think that a, a lot, you know, I think these kids grew up dreaming about playing in the Masters and the U.S. Open. And, and that's it's still going to be available to them if they play well on live. Um, I believe that. So um, they didn't grow up dreaming about playing – the greater Hartford open. So I think, I think players are willing to give up the, the, the idea of the tour if the, if the circumstances are right for them. And um, whereas that might've been unthinkable before, you know, because we have these, we have the NFL versus the USFL analogy and some of these other ones where the other leagues never caught on and they disappeared. And, and there was clearly always just the big time, but the most, the five most important events in golf for the majors and the Ryder cup are not controlled by the PGA tour. And so, um, if, if the live players can still have access to those in, in some, in some manner, um, at least even the, the thought they might, uh, I, I think the tour becomes much less attractive. So, um, to, to some now there's, you're going to have your loyalists for sure. But, um, that, I think that's been one of the, that's been one of the lessons of this year is that maybe we, we were kind of overrating the value of the PGA tour to some of the players. Alan, what, what would you like me to say to people when they ask me of you? Is Alan pro or anti live? <laughs> um, the, the answer is yes. That's the answer. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to both sides this whole thing to death, right? Like um, because there's people have kind of staked out these hardened positions, and I, I go back and forth. I I'm, I'm critical of live, and I'm also supportive of live. I, I see, um, you know, I, I see what they've achieved and. I see the potential for the future, and I think it's quite interesting potentially if they can if they can make the right moves. Uh, like I think, like like you, especially Michael, I'm uncomfortable with the source of the, the money, and um, you know, there's a lot of polarizing figures that are part of Live that I'm not exactly rooting for. So um, I, I I I try much like my my three woods off the tee. I just try and play it right down the middle, and um, you know, it's it and I think people have been confused about my feelings on live, which I guess is good because I I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be for or against. And same with the tour. I mean, I, I've been critical of Monahan at times and some of the the tour moves, but um, I also, I think I, I've, I can see things that they've changed and um, I want the tour to to succeed as well because we need the tour. Like we don't, we don't want to badly diminish PGA tour. That's not good for any of us. So uh, I'm, 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 I'm pro and con PJ tour and I'm pro and con live. I guess it, is the way to say it. Alan, as you get, as you get deeper into the reporting and the writing of your book, do you think at some point you will evolve to a place where you do have an opinion and the reader would actually know it? Or do you think it maybe is incumbent upon you and 
behooves you to maintain this this sort of neutral position all, all through this writing process of, of the book. Yeah, I think I guess I'm struggling with that a little bit because um I think I think the easiest way to say it is I'm critical of both sides. That's my version of neutrality. <laughs> um mm-hmm. but um and I can also see that the you know also give credit where credit is due when they've made the right moves. But um yeah, I, I mean Alan's running for a political position we don't know about. <laughs> Well, I think I think he's writing a really, really sensitive, difficult book. Will Bardwell, I use his line all the time. A tweet was, Will's a great follow if you don't follow him on Twitter. He said, live versus the PGA Tour doesn't have to have a good guy. You know, every yeah. story doesn't have to have a good guy. It can have two bad guys. And <laughs> yeah, in some ways that's more compelling. That, I guess to answer your question, Michael, I just don't want, I don't want to be obvious because if, if, if people say, oh, this is an anti-live book or I'm an anti-live reporter, then you close off um, a lot of potential stories that I'd like to write. Same with, same with if I'm, if I'm, if I'm pro-live or, you know what I mean? Like uh, once you, once you pick sides, then the other side tunes you out. And I don't mean institutionally, I mean the fans and the readers. Um, like, I think it's better if, it, you know, if, if people don't really know your, your true feelings, but it'll probably come out in the book because at that point, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be a little deeper into the process and I can, I can, I can let it go if you will. But part of the problem is I don't really know how I feel just yet. Like, um, because I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I've talked to a lot of the live folks and I see their point. I've talked to a lot of the tour folks. I see their point. So, um, I, I think, being flexible in your opinion is a good thing in, in, in our jobs. When, once you, once you, once you take a hardened stance, um, then you start tuning out the other information. I mean, that's, that's a problem of the modern age, right? Is, is everything is yeah. so polarizing. And then you just seek out the information that reinforces your point of view. And that's not my role here. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to, to be in a bunker. Yeah. That that is very well said. Quick technical question for you, Alan. Very very well said. Do you think that um, do you think that sixteen events and sixty players is where this thing is headed for year two, and then beyond year two? Do you think it could go? Do you think both those numbers could go up as well? I think they're committed to fourteen for next year. I think there will be sixty players in that the same. They're going to try and hold the field at forty eight. That's what they've committed to. But they're not going to have the same forty-eight guys at every tournament. I mean, you saw that. Um, you players will get essentially traded and or demoted. Sixty you know, on the live roster, but only forty-eight playing per event. Exactly. Not, not, so not sixty playing in an event. Correct. Okay. Uh, still forty-eight in the events, but the player movement's going to be interesting, and you're seeing it right now. Like um, that was a subtext this week in Miami is. Teams are trying to get locked in for next year, but some of the players are working both sides of the street. Like obviously Taylor Gooch had a, had a had great success with the four aces and they'd like to have him back. I mean, he's, he's clearly one of the best 30 or 40 players in the world. Even his world ranking says that, um, but he's getting, he's getting inquiries from other captains and they're trying to recruit him. And um, so, yeah, there'll be some, Man, that could be really be an implosion. That could be like soup. That could be very compelling. Like you very could compelling. have some like, like, like if you actually steal, I mean not steal or trade for or sign whatever. Yeah. Like one of the players, there could be some like true rivalries developed over time between like say 
I can't I can't say these stupid names out loud without laughing, but like yeah. the Niblicks steal somebody and the four aces are playing. I mean, it's so ridiculous the names, but like you could you could create some true some true like uh you know hard feelings if you take one or two of their players and then you play in a match you know later that's that's sort of part of their plan all along like it's all been kumbaya this year because it's live against the world and they all have each other's back and i think that's genuine but uh it's going to become there's some business decisions are going to start messing with that and guys are going to start looking out for themselves a little bit and they want to be on the winning team they want to be pat prez they'd, they'd love to be the worst player on the winning team right that's a good place to be um you know some of these teams never even sniffed a podium and you know they they want to get stronger i'm begging them i'm begging the live people to change the names begging i can't it's gonna happen i can't i can't say out loud niblix one more time i can't i just it's the stupidest thing i've ever heard this is this has all been such a beta test and next year it's all going to be baked out there'll be new names new new merch new logos there'll be different players on different teams and, and the players will have much more input like they had to launch with something, yeah. you know, and then players kept coming online and players changed teams. And so they, they never really, they never, they never really dialed in all the, all the, the team names. I'm actually, I'd never buy anything at any golf tournament. I haven't spent my own money on an item of apparel probably since my first masters I was an intern in 1994, but I sort of have a little regret that I didn't scoop up some of the, the live team merchandise. Cause it's, it's so funny and, and like campy. I, I should have, I should have a few of those hats to wear them around. People don't even know what it is, but those, if you know, you know, it would have been quite funny, but I never hey, did. Can someone remind me? Hope my wife listens to all of our podcasts, but hopefully she doesn't listen this far in. I'm supposed to buy a coffee cup at every place that I visit for her. And I forgot Benadune. So when we get off, please remind me to get online and buy a Benadune's coffee mug and send it home and pretend like I bought it at the course and had it shipped. And then we'll um, just keep it between us and the 10,000 people that listen to this podcast. Is is uh, Four Crushers, is that one of the teams? <laughs> no, there are the crushers and there are the four aces, but there are not four crushers. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I only say this because... I'm looking on eBay right now for $7.99. It says here, you can buy a Crushers team logo, cool, unique t-shirt. All right. So next, next podcast, next podcast, we're going to buy, we're buying live merch for each other and have to wear what we send each other. Okay. I'm going to send you my favorite team merch. And then you send me, and we're all going to have a team, and we'll break down the Niblicks and the and the Crushers and the whatever. <laughs> the Crushers seem to be the only people available on eBay. I kind of regret not like just leaning into the bit and going to every press conference and just hammering the players. Like, do you think that this course yeah. sets up well for you, the Niblicks, the Crushers, like, and just just yeah. like? Question after question, like it would have been, it would have been a great bit. But all right, you, Michael and Ryan, you just came back from Band and Dunes for the first time without a coffee mug, but a lot of other thoughts. And yeah. um, let's talk about Band. I've been blessed to go there now, probably ten or eleven times. And um, for, for two rookies, what did you think of Band and Dunes? I will go first. It was, I mean, it's unreal. Um, and golf to me 
for for me, and I appreciate that people want to play very difficult golf courses, and you can play these courses very difficult, and we played it in very ideal weather conditions, so it made it easier. I love the playability of all the courses. I can take my buddies, and we can play the right tees, who is going to shoot 100, and we don't have to look for golf balls all day, and he's not going to be miserable. Uh, the vibe is great, and I know we're going to get to our rankings, but my favorite part, my favorite course was the part of three course. It's like a course I could have in my backyard and play every single day. Like, I love it. I loved it. I, you could go out and drink some beers, play sixums, play it difficult, play it easy. It's a great course. It requires all the shots. It's laid back. I mean, it was unreal. It, it, the place is unreal. I, I love the I love the whole ex, uh, experience of playing those courses. Uh, I'm so not interested in resort golf when that guy with the knickers comes running up to you and he's grabbing the clubs from you because God forbid you should carry your own. This place is so not like that. You have the feeling that it's expensive and complicated. Actually, if you get online and start looking at prices, you know, if you're willing to play in, you know, in, in, in cooler weather or chancier weather, it's not expensive. You can carry your own bag. You can stay at a motel down the street. You can get a tea time. Um, it's loaded with charm, uh, which you can't believe they could pull that off with all the many holes that they have there uh, with the putting course and the par three and the, I guess it's five 18 hole courses. Um the quality of the turf is outstanding to be that near the ocean um, in the United States. It's, it's, un, it's incredible. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to play a lot of golf as you have, Alan. We played a lot of great golf together in Scotland and in the UK. It's very similar to that experience and um, it's not pretentious. Uh, I, I, I think it's uh, brilliant what, what, what Mike Kaiser and an army of people uh, have done there. And um, it's inspiring. And I, I would really urge people that there's a lot of great places to go in this game, but I know we have people who are really devoted uh, uh, to the game. And just for my own example, I was resistant and uh, I am sales resistant by nature. And uh, I was uh, overwhelmed by just the joy of, of the golf experience there. Yeah, that's beautifully said. You, you know how I always say it's hard to follow up people. Thank God I went first. You know, like did you hear that fucking? Oh, I've only said f word one time. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? I mean, thank God I went first. Like this guy, I was just like, yeah, it's great. I was like, I like the part three because I can smoke pot on it. And he just went into this wonderful soliloquy of how wonderful it was. I mean, Jesus, thank God I went first in that scenario. Indeed. Yeah, it is special. I mean, I'm sure both of you guys have people hit you up and because I have been lucky to travel a lot of places and they ask, where's buddy's trip? Where should I go? It's like, it's, it's not even close. Obviously I live in the Pebble beach area and, uh, these, these courses are very dear to me, but it's a completely different experience. And if you don't have access to the private clubs here, you know, you have pebble beach golf links and you have spyglass hill and then there's a pretty steep fall off for your third course. I guess Pasa Tiempo if you want to drive an hour. But um, you know, Pinehurst has is loaded with charm, and I love Tobacco Road if you're willing to drive 20 minutes. But um, 
I mean, the the four courses at Band and, and Old Mac is is more polarizing. We didn't even play it on this trip, so you guys didn't see it. But the top four for most of us are just so incredibly good, and the logistics are so easy. And like we had, you know, we had these Irish guys who were at Bannon for the first time, that, which is a hell of a long trip. And credit to um, to Marty Carr for making the trip. Killing O'Dowd had been there before, but it was Marty's first time. And you know, he runs a travel business, Car Golf, over over an island in the UK, and so he's seen it all. And um, the, you know, Marty was just completely blown away, like 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 especially you, Michael and and, and Ryan. And it was just um, there's the ease of it all. Cause we were saying like, okay, if we go to South, if we go to Southwest Ireland to play um, a tournament like this, I mean, you know, from Waterville to, to La Hinch is in Valley Bunny and it's, it's two hours and you're probably gonna have to sleep somewhere else that night. And um, so, you know, when you go on down the list of all the great destinations in the world, there's nothing like Bandon from the quality, the quantity and the ease. And, and then every, every detail, you know, like you know, Saturday night we're sitting at the fire pit uh, in, in these, you know, these hundred foot tall trees. And, um, if you, if someone's hungry, you order pizza, they bring you pizza and uh, you ran a beer, they'll bring you beer. And it's just like, everything is, um, is just, is so well thought out and so service oriented without, as you say, Michael being over the top. So it, it is, it is really special. And I, I would just add to, to, to Ryan's point, And I know people won't do it. I'm suggesting I would actually really do it. Just play from the tees that are gonna that are gonna make the course playable and fun for you, where you can find your golf ball. If the hole's too tight for you to hit driver, and, and the goal is to find your ball, for that one hole, just move up a tee. In other words, don't worry about all these USJ regulations or whatever else. I I, I think Bandon. I th- the one other time I went, I found I found the the Doe course too difficult. I didn't think it was poor weather, and the rest. This year we played it very short. It was it was very playable, um, but. Golf is supposed to have pleasure to our lives, and a big starting point for that is playing from the right tee for that hole uh, in that wind condition. So go where you, you know, to the degree that people now golfers are rules followers, and I know it's hard for people to do what I'm suggesting, but I really do mean it. Well, we we play the green tees, so that that's you know sixty two, sixty three hundred yards, um, maybe sixty four um, at pack, but that that's a nice number and we didn't have a lot of wind you know we used to we used to play so we were all there for the uncle tony invitational shout out to matt janella who's been doing it for close to a decade now and it, it runs so efficiently he's got it really dialed in and he's already planning the 2024 uncle tony invitational not even 23 23 is already planned like it the amount of care he puts into it is remarkable and um but yeah so there's a lot of excellent golfers who are part of that crew and we could play the blacks um, and those courses would be a lot harder, but it wouldn't be as much fun. And, you know, Bandon, it gives and it takes away. I mean, you can make birdies out there for sure, especially, you know, we used to play in, in July when it was a lot windier and, and the greens were plenty, you know, when you, you're playing, you're playing the fifth hole at Bandon dunes in a 20 mile hour wind. I mean, it's like driver three wood and you got to thread it through those dunes. I mean, um, that's, that's a big ask. And so, you know, you're right, Michael, like part of its charm is it, they, they, the courses don't beat you up. Um, now you hit a bad shot, you can be severely punished, but that's also part of what the game's about, but you, you can score. And, um, yeah. and that, that's important because you don't want to, it's hard to get there. I mean, it's, it's, no, no matter where you're coming from and you guys coming from Philly, coming from, 
uh, from, you know, essentially Chicago airport. I mean, those are, those are tough travel days, but, uh, so you don't want to get there and just get punched in the nose over and over. Like you want to, you want to hit some shots and you want to feel like you can play the golf course. And I think from the green tees that that's always the case. Ryan, quick question for you. What, what par five was it when you hit driver four iron hole high at, at the, at the first course? Was that nine? That, no, no, that was yeah. 16 on trails. 16. 16. Uphill. Yeah. Big power. Big power. Yeah. Well, I, I thought you were and a up. tiny little uh, bunker shot. Oh, that, that bunker shot was, yeah, you got up, made, thought, made a what a. Oh, four. did you not hit that ball hole high that foreign? Yeah, but in a bunker. And then I had a little it, tight little thing. Let's talk about, let's do a whole pot on that hole because that was pretty good. <laughs> It, yeah, it just drifted okay. left on the wind. He was in the he was pin high, Michael. But yeah, okay. that was it was like ten feet, and then it oh, and then fell off. and okay. then you got up and down out of the trap. Yeah, for a four. Yeah, headed to like a foot and a half. I remember, I remember it, Ryan. Even if Michael, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Great. Yeah, so we we played together the first day at Trails, and and Ryan and his partner Killing O'Dowd, who's uh, this. <laughs> It's just absolute character insane. from insane. Dublin. <laughs> just wonderfully I mean, insane. Very successful in as a maker of medical devices, but you put him on the golf course and he's just he's a little terrier and he's just full of life and energy and really fun to play with and a very, Kelly, very I'd like to publicly team. apologize for the for the letdown on the final day. I played some of the best golf I've played in my adult life the first three days and probably one of the worst rounds of my adult life, the last round. On the last hole, I had two sixty out and a par five with a shot. All I had to do was make a regular par and a par five, and we are in the playoff. And I fanned a three-wood so far right that my caddy, who was very, very good, was like, there's no trouble on this hole. I found trouble. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's how bad my three-wood was on the last. Yeah, that's the 18th at, at Bandon Dunes. And, um, yeah, you just got to play down the left side, Ryan. You'll know that better next time. But um, What hole were those other guys on when we were coming up 18 and they were yelling at each other, like, the group on the green and the group they on were the, the They were at the preserve. Yeah, that was a funny moment. So we were we were playing eighteen. Mike, Michael was my partner, and um, and as you as those who've been abandoned know, what separates you from the preserve is about a hundred fifty yard wide gulf, you know, of gorse essentially. And there was there was clearly a big buddies trip playing the preserve, and either I think there were six or eight sims in each group as we played, and they were on they were on consecutive holes and they started shouting at each other. Um, and the guys played all the way back, you know, and they were so heated. Cause I guess one of the groups wasn't playing the correct tees, but they were going back and forth and back. And, forth. and it was like, there was no like levity in their voices. They were serious, and, but it was so loud. It was disturbing us. So finally I shouted across the, the, the divide. I was like, guys have fun. And one of the dudes said, Thank you. <laughs> it was like they just needed to hear it. Like it just snapped them back into like that, that was I the mean, loudest arguing on a golf course I've ever seen, including some really urban munis where guys will go at it. <laughs> that was amazing. But, but later in the round, I didn't I couldn't hear, but I couldn't hear exactly what they were saying, but you could tell that they were heated. You guys were close enough that you could hear words. But later in the round they were like yelling, you know, drunken fun. So whatever you oh, yeah. said, Alan, was like it, it well, tipped no, them I, off. I'm not taking all the credit. They just came to their senses. But it was really fun to watch you and Killian, Ryan, because we played that first day at Trails, and you guys played your butts off. And so, yeah, I mean, you came up one shot short, but it's just fun to be in the mix. And It really you know, was. I've, 
I've been I've been I, there. A couple I said this. Go ahead. I said this to my to to Mark. It was like I never thought like it was fun to feel disappointed if that makes sense. Like I didn't think I I cared, and I was like I was genuinely pissed off for a minute, and like you know, and it's like meaningless in the obviously it's meaningless, but like it, it was it felt good to be disappointed if that made sense. I just want to say this because I, I I talked to Killian about this because I've had a couple times where we were we had a t- not Michael another partner we had a chance to win to win the uncle tony and we do welcome the uti jokes um because those are the initials and we came you know we lost in a playoff and we, we finished one shot out of a playoff another time and um like the nerves you feel on those closing holes the adrenaline it's almost impossible to replicate that in adult life i mean it's how i used to feel like playing high school basketball but you know the just that incredible intensity and wanting it so much and having to control all the 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 flood of uh, different substances are released by your body, the serotonin, the the testosterone, the adrenaline, and having to execute shots and not wanting to let your partner down. And I mean, yes, beyond our little group, nobody really cares, but the rest of us care so deeply. And that's what's so great about golf is you can actually have that feeling. Like, I mean, I can play pickup basketball at the YMCA, and it's, you're not going to have that adrenaline. And um, you know, maybe if you if you're a stockbroker and you're betting your mortgage on something, you'll you'll have that. Or if you're a degenerate gambler who's got a hundred thousand dollars in the Super Bowl, maybe. But um, it's really hard to 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 buy that feeling as as an adult uh, out of organized sports. And um, that's one of the things that makes golf so great is you can get so lost in it that it means the world to you for for. The, and um, it's really one of the pleasures of that of that tournament and any tournament you play with your friends. All right. Can we do a? You want to do just a top and a bottom? No, no, or no. You got to. You want to rank? You got to so, rank them all. Yeah. So just to reiterate, for the purpose of this, you guys didn't didn't get to see Old McDonald. So um, do your top five. Just do your top four. We know you both love the the preserve, the par three course. Like preserve. That's one. a given. Everyone loves the preserve, but it's slightly different. So we're gonna say the preserve is one of the greatest experiences in golf. But just give us one through four on the others. Could, could I just offer one thing? The, the way I'm looking at this, and if you guys you guys look at it any way you wish, I'm saying if you had one day to play one course all day, and you could only choose one, which would it be? That's the definition I'm using going in. Okay, I'm taking Sheep's Ranch first, the par three course second. Bandon Dunes, the original course, third. Pacific Dunes, fourth. Bandon Trails, fifth. It's crazy to call Bandon Trails, fifth. That's the Core Cruncher course. It's one of the most beautiful courses in the world, period. And I've had a great fortune to play many, many, many great, beautiful courses. But that's 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 what I'm putting in my five. I am going Sheep Ranch first by a long shot. By a long shot. They're all great. I'm just saying, like, Clearly, for me, number one uh, of the long courses, the preserve is the one I would say is one if I if I had to rank it in there. Um, Bandon tr- Trails, uh, Bandon Pacific is last for me. It was wonderful. It's great. There's no complaints about it. It's just not. It's just my last. And Sheep Ranch, again, because you could play with anyone. You could play. You could take Will Crop out there who shot sixty four. And you could play the back tees. He could play the back tees. You could play the forward tees. You could have some sort of match. You could take your guy who shoots 100 out there, not be looking for balls all day. 
There's no bunkers. It still has some difficulty to it, despite being wide open. It's not like a course you can just go out and fire 75, 76 every time. You can make it hard. If there's elements, it's hard. I mean, it's all of them that we played were great. That, for me, Sheep Ranch was above as it can be. It, it was my clear number one. So, so Ryan, if you could, if you could go for a day... You'd rather play Sheep's Ranch all day long than the par three all day long. No, no, no. I, my, Alan put a, a asterisk. Oh, we're not that he counting pick the par three. three. Oh, I, I think it's par three. That's fine. There's no rules to this. Okay. I, I, to me, just as a side note, I will not name names, but on the par three course, we were playing eightsomes, and one of the players in the other foursome were playing a four-person scramble. One of the persons, one of the people in the other foursome, offered some performance-enhancing gummies that was anti-performance-enhancing, and I've never seen such good players such hit terrible shots. Well, it was a scratch golfer who hit three shanks, dead shanks in a row. I mean, it's one it of the was, challenges. Of the, one of the challenges of the UTI is you have to it's gummy management. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, you got to really know what you're doing. <laughs> On the last day, Killian O'Dub, my partner was like, you know, do I have another drink? Do I have less drinks? Do I drink less? Do I not drink enough? You know, it's like, it's a it's a dicey bell curve. I would say for me, Bannon Dunes is number one. I just think the flow of that golf course is so wonderful. There's not a hole in there I, I really don't love, even the, the ones that kick my butt. Number two, I'm going to say Trails. I think it's the most wondrous routing on the planet. It, it just, you start in the dunes, then you're in the meadows, then you're you're in the forest and then you're on this giant sand hill and then you're back in you're back in the forest and then you're in the dunes you know there's like i don't like the first hole i don't really like the 14th hole but um i think the whole experience is is pretty magical um then i would do sheep and then i, I would do pack which is amazing because pacific dunes is in a lot of the top 20 or 30s and in, in all the in the 100 top 100 rankings i mean it is a phenomenal golf course and there are so many great holes but um it just doesn't move me the same way and i feel like for those who, who have been lucky enough to play it and they know like the 13th hole is incredible that's you're you're playing along the ocean and there's that giant dune on your right once you make a right turn you leave that hole uh, I, I think the finish is, is a little underwhelming and um so um, and in the wind, it's a total bitch. So um, to the point where it, it can it can really beat you up more than the others. I think the others are more playable in the wind. So it's crazy to think Pacific Dunes, which is one of the greatest golf courses on the planet, is somehow is number four in, in any ranking. But that's just that's just how I feel. And um, I mean, the, I love the preserve as much as you guys do. But if I if I had one day at Bandon, I would want to play I'd play the big courses. So uh, reluctantly, I'll put that fifth in, in this little ranking. But at the same time, I'd be happy to play that the rest of my life. And, and, um, so it's, um, it's quite, and you know, next time, Michael, you need to play old Matt cause you would appreciate it. It's kind of funky. And I think you'd probably like it than most people do. And the finish is phenomenal. And, and the third hole, you're hitting over this dune with that famous tree. Like all, if you put old Mac in any city in America, players would be, they would be beside themselves with how great it is. So it's just, it's tough company, man. It really is. But, um, yeah, no, Bannon Dunes, what a place. I, and it, it's neat that that camaraderie that we all felt and that that sense of adventure. I mean, it's like we, we've talked about this many times as a podcast, but golf is just so special. You can't have that experience in any other sport. You just can't. And 
we're lucky that it's all part of our lives in such a big way. Agreed. Well, should we release the, should we release the listeners? I, I think it's probably that time. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's uh, another another big week for the, in golf and for the Fire Drill podcasts. Uh, any parting thoughts before we go? I only said the F word one time today. So all you people that say I swear too much, F. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so Michael and I had this conversation, and uh, it was like you know everyone. You don't want to lose who you are. So I do swear I'll try to limit it to 25 F-words per podcast going forward. You got to be you, Ryan. But, you know, at the same time, I think Michael and I heard from some of our, our Twitter followers and our, our listeners, like, um, it, it has to be judicious in its use. You know, it loses its punch if you use it too much. So I, I think... Uh, I mean, you've hung out with me, Alan. I use it repeatedly as, as a lack of my known vocabulary it fills in everything <laughs> you can use it as a verb a noun <laughs> just an adjective just, just just be yourself right and that's all we oh, want that shit. no i'm just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> on that note we're going to close this fire drill podcast uh thank you for listening we appreciate you out there in um wherever you may be and we will be back at it on Sunday nights, um, per usual, uh, again next week, but um, special circumstances this time. So I'm Alan Shipnuck. That was Ryan French and Michael Bamberger. Uh, until we do this again, thanks for listening. I bet big and I played to win. Made a fortune when my ship came in. I ran the table, never thought I could fall. Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball. And now I can't shake this losing streak Every road I take is a dead-end street I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 